Oh, let me hold on one second. <laughs> oh, you want to do your vocal exercises? Seashells, seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the British. Beautiful. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crypto Safari podcast, where we paddle down the river of crypto, fishing for the juicy tokens you want to sink your teeth into. Mm. Mm. My name is Bogdan, and as always here, I have Brian. How's it going, Brian? Doing well, Bogdan. Happy to be here. Good to see you. We have a lot to cover today. We do. We do. It's a big day. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on in the news, um, a lot of developments in the overall crypto market. Exciting stuff. I can't wait to jump in. Yeah, same yeah. here. And today we have an exciting theme for the podcast because instead of doing tokens, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, yes. I'm excited about we're going to be talking about play to earn games yeah we gamified okay. this podcast yes say. we have gamified we are we are very on trend we are very hip right. um, but let's start with the news so the first uh, bit of news which is uh, reassuring is crypto prices have taken a slight upturn by slight I mean about five ten percent gains ethereum you know went above three thousand dollars a coin Solana went above 110 so we're starting mm-hmm. to see a little bit of recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Even some of the um, the community coins, some people call them meme coins, have seen some pretty big pumps lately. Um, I think Shiba pumped like 50% last week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, 50% uh, in one day, and they might have dropped a little bit, which usually happens when you have a big pump. There's a little bit of a sell-off, people taking profits, that sort of thing. Saitama, which was the first token that I talked about, uh, pumped like 20% last week. A bunch of other ones, too. So I think, um, you know, the, the rising tide of Bitcoin does lift a lot of boats. And I think we're seeing some of that right now. Yeah, yeah. Very, very encouraging. Another bit of news is I have some updates on the so-called Solana hack that ah. we talked about last week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in case you guys missed it last week, some Ethereum was stolen. Just a little bit of Ethereum, only three hundred twenty-three million dollars. Yeah, you got that. Uh, actually, the, <laughs> the the second biggest hack in crypto history, um, and this happened in what's called a wormhole. So, a wormhole is a way for people to move tokens from one type of cryptocurrency to another. So, in this case, it was Ethereum to Solana. And mm-hmm. so, to clarify, and this is really really important. Ethereum was not hacked. Solana was not hacked. Right. It was the bridge, the wormhole that people use to transfer their tokens across. So encouraging news on that. Jump, which is the company that created the wormhole protocol, the wormhole bridge, actually reimbursed everybody. $323 $323 million, they reimbursed everybody. Um, and basically what had happened is someone had found a vulnerability where they kind of messed with the smart contract so that you didn't have to put Solana in to get Ethereum out. So they basically just took Ethereum out. So as soon as it was detected, Jump Crypto stopped all the transactions and within 16 hours had patched the mistake. And then within a day or two, had already reimbursed everybody their money. Oh, so okay. once is- again, like when you see scary crypto news, it's important to double click and see what's actually going on. So they basically patched the hole in the wormhole. Yes, they patched the hole in the wormhole. So the wormhole, it, it, it's to trade tokens in between two separate blocks. It's a bridge between two separate blockchains, right? Yes. Got it. Okay. Okay, right, cool. Yeah, that's a huge point. And I think um, the, the making people whole aspect of some of these, uh, these projects and exchanges, I think is a big part is definitely making people feel more safe. Uh, actually, that reminds me of another question too. So Jump, now, do you know if they have went, underwent a CERTIC audit for their software? 
I do not know. So I am not super familiar with it. What I read about Jump is that because everyone asked, they're like $323 million. Like, how can they just reimburse that that quickly? Apparently, Jump is a very well-established trading firm that uh, trades in traditional things like stocks and things like that. And they recently created a crypto division. The product, I believe, is called Wormhole. And so in order for them to keep people's you know, trust in the Wormhole product, that's why they reimbursed everybody immediately. Well, I think you have to in that situation, you know what I mean? It's like your reputation and your business depends on it. And so if you're not willing to make people whole really quick and fix the problem, then, you know, people are going to go elsewhere. Yeah. The the thing that worries me though, personally, is most people that I know who are, you know, as crypto curious as you and I, Brian, uh, will not actually follow up on finding out that everyone was made whole. They're going to just read that article headline of, $323 $323 million of ETH stolen, you know, and they'll be like, oh, I'm not doing crypto. Right. Yeah. You, you don't not see the headline. It, it's stolen and everybody reimbursed. Everything's fine. That's a great uh, uh, headline to, to get people to, to read. It's not bleeding enough, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on the, the next piece of uh, crypto news. So we know that uh, the U.S. and Russia is currently kind of debating regulating crypto. Mm-hmm. I have a point. I got an update. I was just listening to a podcast earlier. I listened to other podcasts besides our own. And (laughs) I I heard that uh, the Russian government and the Russian central bank reached agreement that they are going to allow Bitcoin as a common currency in Russia. Woo! Yeah, everybody, uh, that might be causing some of that, uh, some of the bump in in prices, but uh, that's what I read. I heard today. Um, We'll need to follow up and maybe dig around, but that's the newest I've heard in that situation. That's super, super encouraging. And then, yeah. like we mentioned on the last podcast, um, the U.S. government is not going to shut down crypto. That's not their intention. It's just to regulate it, tax it. Uh, right now, they're debating, should they treat it like a commodity or more like a stock? But what's interesting here, I love it when the big giants are fighting and the plucky little, you know, the little guy gets an idea. So Portugal has recently come out saying that they are going to tax crypto at 0%. So small countries, this, this is interesting because it could be in the future that in order for countries to compete with others, you know, economically and attract more mm-hmm. innovators, startups, money into the country, they could do 0% taxes, which puts pressure on the bigger countries to not overdo their taxing. Absolutely. I mean, Ireland did it with Apple to bring their business over there. So why not, you know, doing it with crypto projects? Conversely, I just heard that Venezuela is going to tax crypto 20%. Oof, that's not. So, then, so you, we're going to see how those two play that's out. That's a really bad idea, Venezuela. I'm not I'm not an economist. I do not play one on TV, yeah. but I can tell you, I think that's a really bad idea. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of bad ideas in the last 20 years. Um, and so uh, I think it's just kind of following the same sort of centralized command economy that they have been doing for a long time. They did the same thing with the oil industry in Venezuela for a while. They were one of the top three producers of, of petroleum in the world for a while. And they might still might be, but they ruin that industry as well. But anyway, we won't get into that. Well, have you ever, ever been to Portugal, by the way? I have. I um, have been to yeah. Lisbon. It is a lovely country. I really enjoyed it. Have you? No, but it's on my list. I've been to Spain. Um, didn't make it to Portugal, but I hear they have great surfing there. And I love the style of food. I love the style of wine. We got to go sometime. Oh, yeah. And their food is amazing, by the way. Um, they have this thing called pastiche which huh. is like this little custard pastry. And you just, I could eat a hundred pastiche and not get tired. They're so good. I, I also heard about them having a really amazing sardine festival there. Oh, I did not know about that. Yeah, they they used to be one of the top producers and canners for sardines, which were very popular during World War One because they had a lot of protein. They're easy to can. They had a lot of fat, a lot of oil, but they overfished it and the economy kind of declined. But the sardine is still very popular amongst the people. And every year they have a festival. Everybody in the streets is grilling and eating sardines all day long. It sounds lovely. Yeah, I have a poster in my kitchen of a sardine, and it's from Portugal. We bought it in Lisbon. There you go. Boom. There we we came go. full circle on that one, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. We did. We did. I love, I love awesome. when you're on these tangents, Brian. All right, next one. This is a real quick one, but it's also just kind of like a thumbs up to the crypto community. So in January alone, 
five billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in VC funding was put into crypto companies and crypto coins. So, wow. I mean, yes, you know, we're kind of in a dip right now, but the money coming into crypto is still very, very strong. That's going to be huge for the overall crypto market. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's what I had for the news this uh, week. Anything else on your radar? Yeah. You know, uh, some pretty big news that I read about. Uh, the first one, it, it kind of ties into the, uh, the ETH hack. And I'm not sure if you heard this story, but uh, apparently uh, $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin was seized by the federal government this week from a hack that happened in 2016. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, exchange called Bifinex. I'm not sure if you've ever heard Bitfinex. of Bitfinex. Sorry, excuse me. Bitfinex was hacked back in 2016. Um, 120,000 Bitcoin were stolen worth at that time. I think it was $60 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> a lot of money. A lot of money. Yes, but not billions. Not billions. Right. And so, uh, so recently they arrested a couple in New York, a married couple. They're young in their 30s. But um, the one guy, he's, you know... A, kind of an entrepreneur coder. The woman, the, the wife was also an entrepreneur. I think she did some writing for Forbes magazine. Ooh, okay. Also, she's a, uh, a rapper. Uh, of course. I was just about uh, to ask. Yeah, she's a rapper. Her, her rap name is Rosal Khan. Um, she has some, some music uh, that were actually recently pulled down from YouTube. But uh, apparently they caught these guys trying to launder 25,000 Bitcoins out of the, all that were taken, so they took 120,000 in the beginning. They were trying to launder 25 and they got busted. And apparently the guy, he had all of his wallets and key phrases in the cloud. And oh, so when God. they raided him, they were able to find it. He had over 2,000 wallets and all of his passwords in the cloud. And so they traced money, Bitcoin from the hack to his wallet. Now they weren't saying that he hacked it, but they're saying that there's a direct connection between his, the hack and his wallets. And so with their recovery, they were able to get um, 94,000 Bitcoins recovered. Okay. Okay. So almost out of the 120,000, they got 94,000. They got 94,000. So it's 25 spent, lost, whatever. But so uh, Bitfinex, they took out a loan for $70 million and eventually paid off their investors over the time. Mm -hmm. Now it looks like they're going to get $3.6 billion back. So did they really lose or win in this deal? I think they're coming out big winners. I mean, that's one of the biggest trade wins in history, if, if that's the way it works out. So kind of funny, kind of interesting. That's a, that's a crazy story. And this is, this is a question that I need to kind of get more educated about. But crypto, yes, it is very good at being anonymous, but it's also very good at being traceable. So I'm wondering if you are stealing, you know, via hack, all this Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, how do you launder it? Like, what's the proper way to launder something? Well, that's, that's the, um, one of the interesting parts. And so their process for laundering, where they were using a lot of stuff on the dark net, different accounts, different places to hide it, and then kind of wash it through those um, dark net sites or whatever. They were buying gold. They were buying gift cards and NFTs. Couldn't you still look at the transaction history? Like the transaction history is always written in there. So, and you can't, it doesn't go away. It's immutable, but this yeah, guy yeah. Has, uh, so they can always trace you. Even if you launder it, you know, five, 10, 20 times, people can just look up that chain. It's going to eventually, there's going to be a trail left behind. I mean, this guy had 2,000 wallets in the cloud with uh, accounts. It, it sends a big, a big um, kind of, uh, message that the feds can still track this down. And so I think that also adds into this feeling of security more and more with cryptocurrency. If they know that the money is to disappear and people are just gone into the ether, like they, there is a way to track these people down. There is some accountability. So, uh, you know, I think it may be a good thing for crypto, but also it says like, all right, the government's already, they're in your wallets. You know what I mean? So that's kind of a bad thing too. But I guess as long as you're not doing anything illegal, you don't have to worry about it. Love it. Yep. Yep. Also, um, I was reading about a local company here in San Francisco called Alchemy. Have you heard of these guys? No. no. Now, now here, I just want to make an analogy or make a connection to something. You know, know, we talk about like, we talk about the cryptocurrency being a little bit of a a gold rush right now, right? And then we, you know, if you look at the people in the gold rush who actually made money, it wasn't the people who were mining the gold. The people who made money opened stores, 
They sold axes. They sold wheelbarrows. Studebaker, the car company, they started off selling wheelbarrows. Mm. Uh, Levi Strauss, I think, was selling overalls. Wells Fargo decided to open up a bank. So these people are making a ton of money, right? Yep. And so I read about this company. They're called Alchemy. And they're a Web3 uh, developing com- developer company. And they just recently got a $10 billion valuation. And they're still pretty young. So that they're a DECA unicorn. That's that's crazy, crazy. Right? That's, what do they do? What, what's their business? Yeah. So their business is basically providing the tools and infrastructure for companies to build on the blockchain. Okay. So they have an API that tracks like NFTs. They have nodes. They have dashboards. Pretty much everything a developer would need to build on the blockchain, they provide those tools for them. Um, they're actually working with Polygon. OpenSea, I think, is powered by them. Pretty much all the tools you could think of, they're doing mm-hmm. that. Huge valuation. And I think it's important that maybe we should look at some of these companies that are actually the uh, selling the shovels and picks to this gold rush as possible investments and just... Um, a way to maybe put some money, um, diversify off of the volatility. I guess their volatility will still be tied into them as well. You know, if they, you know, they're correlated, but a little bit, but not any single token. Exactly. Right. It's more about the broader market. Yeah. Cool. cool. All right. We'll move on. I know we're taking some time here. Another uh, quick thing. Um, I know you're an NFT guy. GameStop is partnering with Immutable X to create an NFT marketplace. Oh, very cool. Heard about that. Yeah. I have not heard about this. Right, right. I, you know, I read about that recently too. So GameStop, you know, uh, now they're trying to move away from their uh, their core model of having these stores to being an online NFT marketplace. So a one-stop shop where every gamer can go and buy NFTs for all the games they want to play in one place. So if I'm playing Fortnite, I go there. I can buy some skins for my player. If I'm playing Axie Infinity, I can go buy some different stuff there, you know? And so it's really, they're just trying to bring it all together. And Immutable X has been doing that for a while. They're the kind of the, the, the they power like OpenSea and other places like that. And so they have all the infrastructure and their backend software connects to everybody. And so it's, they connect all these marketplaces and GameStop is trying to be that one-stop shop for all NFT game related stuff. Interesting. I mean, I, I like that. I think that GameStop knows that it needs to evolve because there's a big risk right now of GameStop becoming the blockbuster, uh, you know, of games where the Netflixes come along, the Peacocks come along, the Hulus. But I I like that they are evolving, you know, not just to selling games digitally, but going into the NFT space. That's very smart. Yeah, they're not trying not to go the way of the Dodo. And I think this is a very strong play. And I think just based on the market numbers, for example... The NFT marketplace grew from $100 million in 2020 to $23 billion in 2021. That's huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. Yeah, the I'm couple of those of bucks are living in your, uh, your, your NFT wallet. So um, I think it's a huge opportunity for GameStop. We'll have to see how that goes. So that's what I got for news. Um, I was going to talk about Facebook, and I think it's been talked about a lot. They lost a ton of money. So first... Quick little summary of what happened with Facebook. Why did they lose a bunch of money? Right. So uh, Facebook lost a bunch of money because for the first time they reported a loss of daily users, I think around 1 million daily users. Okay. Now that's a big deal. They've never lost users in the history of the company. So right there, not good. They had a, a earnings report that was subpar. And recently they just made a $10 billion investment into the metaverse, which is something that's not tomorrow. It's not next week. This is like five, 10 years down the road. And so if you look at that, that's maybe like one year down the road. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. There's some skeptics, but so based on the report, we're talking about $20 billion right there that have gone out of Facebook where there's no clear idea how they're going to get that back. Additionally, they're, they're getting their lunch eaten by other like more hip, uh, younger uh, social media platforms like TikTok. And for them, the cost to acquire new users is really high. There's only so many people out there. I mean, it's, it's going to, I don't know how they're going to try to get more people to join. I mean, they've tried to do it with their, um, they have like a TikTok competitor, but they don't know how to monetize that. I think what Facebook has lost overall, and the thing that, the reason that people went to Facebook is for community, right? You would connect with actual people in your life. I never go on Facebook anymore to see what people are up to, to like connect with them. The only reason I go on Facebook is I need to message someone or I need to post something. So I have like, it's a storage of my pictures and videos essentially. So I am hopeful and I'm pretty confident knowing 
Mark Zuckerberg and, and how smart he is uh, in terms of a leader that, yes, I think there will be a downturn. Maybe they'll lose, you know, a billion users. Uh, but once the metaverse is up and running, they will reignite that kind of community feel. Well, okay. So now I got some problems with that, first of all. So the metaverse is basically, so for people who don't don't know, the metaverse is basically the idea of connecting all of these different, um, different websites, apps, all the stuff in one place for people to hang out. Now, some of it is VR and it is kind of centered around that. And so Yes, maybe so, but I don't see a lot of people wanting to jump into Mark Zuckerberg's universe or metaverse to hang out with uh, people. And I also I don't see a lot of older, uh, you know, boomers and grandmas putting on VR headsets anytime soon. I just don't see it. I think this is going to be a, a huge bust for them. And I don't think they're going to they're going to make it work. It's a little bit like when the iPhone came out, people were like, yeah. oh, I don't get it. Like, why? Why do I need apps? Like, I just want to text people and call people on the phone. We can't project out. When did the iPhone come out? 2000... 2007, I think, 2008. It came out when I was in school. And I remember I was one of the first people to ever get one. It was still like heavy and metal. I think it was a little bit earlier. It was like 2006 or something okay. like that. Yeah. Someone, someone can fact check us on this. But when it came out, would you have been like, oh, someday I'm going to call a complete stranger to come pick me up in his car and drive me places? Like, there's no way you would have been able yeah. to make that like intellectual leap. So to me... I think the way we're thinking about the metaverse right now is so simple. We're like, it's the equivalent of like, oh, if, if I want to write an email, why wouldn't I send a letter? You know, like, well, why would I send an email? It's complicated. It takes so much equipment yeah. instead of paper and pen. So I think we're right, in that right. stage. To answer your question about why would people join Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse instead of yeah. other metaverses, I think Facebook has so much money, they can hire the best developers, the best creatives, the best of the best, just give them lots of money. And those people will make it attractive. Well, attractive is one thing. But if we if we think about the world going to Web3, decentralization, controlling your own data, how are they going to monetize it? I mean, are you going to go into a VR um, uh, environment and have all these ads blasted on you because they're collecting your data? And are they really going to be able to sell the metaverse for a cost that people are going to say, listen, I'm willing to pay this money to be a part of Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. So I think there's a fundamental problem with their business model and the metaverse for them. I don't see those. I think it's it's neither of those two. I think they will be selling real estate to giant companies. So it's not advertising. It's literally just location. So think of like you're in the metaverse and you're going to the town square what are the stores that are on the very edge of that town square? Not like three blocks down. They're like right there in the right. center. Nike is going to be there. Adidas right. is going to no, be there. No, no. All point. the big companies that want to sell physical products, by the way. I'm not talking Nike just has a booth there where you look at NFT pictures. You can actually go into the Nike store, pick up a shoe in virtual reality, put it on your avatar, see if you like the way it looks. And then when you click buy, it gets shipped to your house immediately. Yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of the central land. I mean, and all those other, yeah, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I guess in my mind, I picture you jump in the metaverse and you're in there and it's like, you're in the square and there's like Zucker muffins over here and he's trying to sell you muffins. And then like, there's a picture of, there's a store over here with Zuckerberg with a sombrero and he's selling Mexican food, you know what I mean? I just didn't want to be in his world and I probably won't ever be in his metaverse, but I think the metaverse in general has a lot of potential. I bet you that Mark Zuckerberg will step down from Facebook. Oh, I see and- that too in say five years, 10 years, something like that, people are going to forget who Mark Zuckerberg even is. And they're just going to think, oh yeah, I I hang out in the metaverse. You want to go play a game? You want to go skiing? Oh yeah, let's go check out a movie. The new Marvel movie's out, by the way. Uh, Like, let's go watch it. And you literally, you won't have to put on the VR goggles because that experience still to some degree sucks. Like you'll just turn the metaverse on on your TV and you'll just watch a movie with your friends. Okay. Yeah. You know, like there, right. there's no. a lot of possibilities there. So you, you picture us, you know, me and you one day in the metaverse sitting on some virtual front porch and virtual rocking chairs talking about, remember when Zuckerberg owned Facebook? <laughs> these kids are throwing rocks at our screen doors. Was that how you see it? Yes. Yes. That's how I see it. All right. I love it. I'll, I'll be there with you, man. Let's, all right. Let's go. All right. So, so that's it for the news. A lot of stuff's going on. Um, I'm excited to see the updates there. 
Uh, let's jump into listener questions. Uh, thank you guys to everybody who submitted your questions. If you want to submit some questions to have them answered on the podcast, uh, what's the email that they can go to, Brian? We have a new email. Oh, boy. You caught me on the spot here. Um, I was just pouring myself some wine. Um, <laughs> is it... Uh, uh... He, he's, he's lost our email address already. Luckily, I am. A good I, still send, I still send mail like in a mailbox. I'm a good custodian of our, yeah. our email address. So uh, you can write to us at podcast at cryptosafari.us. Feel free to write to us if you have questions. Um, but we have two questions here from previous listeners. Uh, the first question here is from Anne. She would like to know, what can I use Bitcoin for? Can I buy uh, anything with it, like groceries, clothes, etc.? Actually, uh, yeah. I was curious too. And so I looked up, like, who are the biggest stores or merchandisers or companies that accept Bitcoin? And I wanted to find out. So, and I got a list here. Do you want to hear the list? Let's hear the list. All right. So we got Microsoft. Oh, okay. Did not yeah. expect that. Nobody did. PayPal. Nice. Overstock. Okay. Whole Foods. Oh, so that's you can buy cool. groceries. You can get your organic kale quinoa salad. Uh -huh. yeah. You can Etsy, Starbucks, yeah. New Egg, Home Depot. Oh wow! Uh, those are the big ones. Um, Twitch, which doesn't you know, Cheapo Air, um, AMC that's Theaters. Cool. You know, AMC has been adopt, uh, been embracing uh, the cryptocurrency. Um, so those are the big ones. So I mean, just those alone, that's uh, that's huge. With all those combined, you don't have to, you could live your whole life and get everything you need between whatever those companies on the list. So with Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And some people might be asking, why would I just why would I use Bitcoin instead of just use cash at all these companies? There are a few reasons. One is that you prefer that payment method as opposed to your bank account have having to have a bank account in the first place. You could mm -hmm. literally you know, go bankless, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, another reason is, and this is something that I actually want to explore a little bit more. So most of my family lives in Bulgaria. It's just me and my brother out here in the US. And one of the biggest problems we have is if I literally just want to send $100 to my cousin for his birthday, I can't just send him $100 via PayPal or whatever. It gets taxed a bunch so it gets a fee for paypal it gets a fee from the u.s government the bulgarian government oh. by the time i send the money over to him i've paid like 30 dollars in fees to send and him he thinks you're a cheapskate he's like oh, this is my birthday and bogner sent me a buck oh five exactly exactly yeah. so yeah. imagine if say he wants to send me a present or i want to send him a present one he could just send me the the bitcoin with no transaction fees or he could actually buy me a gift. Like he's in Bulgaria. He can buy something on Amazon using Bitcoin, for example, and I would get my gift. So yeah. it helps in all these little niche situations that we haven't thought of yet. But my thing is, it's like, if you think about Bitcoin potentially doubling this year, why would you ever want to spend it, <laughs> you know, on something that is, is not going to appreciate the same way? You know, I, I've heard stories of people who were who tipping people with Bitcoins a long time ago. And now they're like, ah. and I think I told, did we talk about the guy who was getting paid in Bitcoin? I don't remember. So really quick. And so I was, re I was reading about this guy. He was early, early on the company he worked for. They were, they were really big into Bitcoin and he got paid in Bitcoin. And so it turned out his time now in value turned out he was getting paid $200,000 an hour for, for his wages. So that's, that's why you don't want to spend Bitcoin. Yeah. buy your, your great grandma, you know, a, a new doily collection. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There we go. So yes. And to answer your question, you can use Bitcoin to buy things currently, and you can also buy a lot more things in the future with Bitcoin, but probably not a good idea to use Bitcoin to buy things. Yeah. Um, our next question here is from Sam. He would like to What's know, up, and, and this is a, a good, very basic question that I've actually heard quite a few people ask. How do I get my money back out of crypto? Meaning he has gone in, he has bought crypto. Now he holds Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana. How does he get it back out into US dollars? Uh, is he talking about from a hot wallet? Is he talking about from an exchange, a decentralized exchange? Do you know what he, what he was talking about? 
Uh, he didn't specify, but I've heard this question a few times in our workshops, and usually they mean from an exchange. Mm. So it literally is the opposite process of buying crypto. So to buy crypto, you go on an exchange like FTX or Coinbase, you connect it to your bank account, you transfer US dollars into that exchange, and then you use those US dollars to buy your coin. To get it back out, it's the exact opposite. You sell the coin for US dollars, you take those US dollars and you send them to your bank account. It's pretty easy. Very, very valid question. And I feel like these are the little things that when you Google things about crypto on the internet, they don't do a good job of explaining. So yeah, I'm glad we can explain those for you guys here. Let's uh let's let's jump into actual topic of the hour, which is play to earn games. We both chose a play to earn game that we wanted to look into. For my play to earn game, I actually played this game to earn, um, and I have an interesting story behind that. Yeah, I love it. it not, spoiler alert: It did not go well. Uh, Bad, bad, bad things happen to me, but I'm happy to share those bad things so that everybody else here can learn from my mistakes. Yeah, cautionary play to earn tale. Direct exactly. to Bogdan. I love exactly. it. Exactly. So lessons being handed down. just to recap, the way that we typically evaluate projects is PTAC plus T. So that's P-T-A-C. That stands for purpose, team, advantage, and community. Those are the four things we look at when we're looking at a cryptocurrency or crypto project. So the game that I joined uh, is called Sheep Game. Are you familiar with this one? I am. I'm Well, I'm familiar because you told me about it. But maybe okay. we just start high level, like the bog and the water play to earn games. Let's start high level. Play to earn games is a new type of game that uses NFTs. And you basically play the game and you get paid some type of cryptocurrency in exchange for playing the game. So instead of playing a game and spending money, I'm playing a game and earning money? Yeah, exactly, Brian. All, all that time that your parents told Eureka. you, hey, why are you, why are you playing these damn games, Brian? You're just yeah. wasting your money. You're like, mom, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to earn money doing this someday. Here's a Bitcoin. Leave me alone. Yeah, here's a, take a Bitcoin and get out of here, mom. Order a pizza. All right. Um, cool. Thank you. Yeah, because I think that's important to understand, like, the shift in gaming from, you know, most games, it's really about, you know, uh, you sign up, you play, either you buy the game outright, um, and then you play the game. Or you have a game like Fortnite, which is free to play, but there's all these in-game purchases that where you can get for your, your players. So you can get different clothing, different guns. And so those type of games, they make their money on, stuff you buy in the game. They call them in-game purchases. And so this play-to-earn model is saying, listen, you can still buy stuff, but instead of it sitting in one game, you're going to actually own it and you can sell that on an open marketplace. Yes, there is a problem with play-to-earn gaming, which I'd like to discuss after we both present. I'm I'm a little doubtful about play-to-earn gaming. Yeah, the, the game that I decided to play, and I heard about this on the Modern Finance podcast, is Sheep Game. Uh, initially, Sheep Game started out as Wolf Game. So I'll talk about Wolf Game first, and then I'll jump into Sheep Game. So uh, what is the purpose of Wolf Game? It really was a game that's based on economic principles. And you, got, you get to decide who you want to be within this like kind of micro economy. So there are sheep and there are wolves. If you choose to be a sheep, you basically buy a sheep. And then you put your sheep in the barn. This all sounds very fun. I know. Uh, when you put your sheep in the barn, it's it's what's called a staked, which you might know from you know cryptocurrencies where you stake the coin so that earns money. So if you put your sheep in the barn, you're essentially staking it, and you get ten thousand wool per day. You can leave that sheep alone, and it can keep growing wool, or you can shear the wool off of your sheep. And you can take it out and go sell it at the market. Mm. Now, here's the, this is where things get kind of interesting. If you decide to shear your wool and take it to the market, you have to pay a 20% tax on that wool to all the people who are wolves in the game. 
Yeah. You pay that tax so that they don't eat your sheep. So you're almost like paying. It's a little Godfather like. That sounds right? like a that sounds like a bribe or a kickback or a, a payoff. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, otherwise the wolves can eat your eat your sheep. You know. Yeah. So you pay that twenty percent wool tax, and here's the thing: so your sheep is safe as long as it's in the barn. But let's say this is an NFT, right? So let's say you want to sell that sheep. If you remove it from the barn there is a 50% chance that it will get stolen by a wolf. So you could lose your NFT. This is a new concept. Right, right. Your NFT could be lost to another person and literally deposited in their wallet. All right. I mean, I, I like this a little bit of risk. You know, that makes you want to either like take a chance or keep your, your sheep in a barn. But let me ask you a question. Would you leave your house every day if there was a 50% chance someone was going to steal your wallet as soon as you leave the house? No, right. Let's say you have multiple sheep. So let's say I have a hundred sheep. So uh, you okay. know what? I want to, I want to go sell one of these sheep. Oh, I take it out of the barn. It gets stolen. That's eh, all right. I take another one out of the barn. Oh, it didn't get stolen. I sell it. It depends of course on the price of sheep. So if sheep are in high demand and the prices for them are really high, that's worth the risk to me. If sheep are really low in price, it's not worth risking it because uh, it's earning me 10,000 wool per day every day. Right so, right. so that's the sheep side of the game. Let's say instead of a sheep, you want to be a wolf. So if you buy a wolf, uh, there is a 10% chance that you will steal someone else's uh, wolf or sheep when they mint it. So when someone creates a new one, you have a 10% chance of swiping it. So that's pretty cool. Either uh, one, sheep or wolf. If you're a wolf, you can get both. Yeah, exactly. But only 10% chance. So it's it's a little bit low. So okay. for every, you know, and your split, that 10% chance is split between you and all the other wolves in the game, you know. So, so it's, it's randomized. Not, it's not, um, It's you don't have any, any control over being that 10%. It's just luck of the draw or exactly. unluck of the draw. Exactly. So the more wolves there are in the game, uh, the lower and lower that percentage becomes. The more sheeps and wolves that are being minted and created, you know, your probability increases. So you get that. That's the benefit of being a wolf. You also earn your 20% cut of the wool that's being shipped off the sheep. So that's, that's a nice, you're just earning passive income there. And then you also get a share of all of the accumulated wool from all the people who have taken their sheep out of the barn. So you share that kind of prize pool among all the other wolves. So as a wolf, you earn like no matter what, and your wolf is safe. Nobody can steal your wolf. Of course, this means that the wolves cost more than the sheep because Mm. they're more prized possessions. The interesting thing is that when you're minting a new NFT in this game, it's random whether you get a wolf or a sheep. So yes, you can go buy a wolf or a sheep off on the secondary marketplace, but when you're minting a new NFT, you could get a wolf. Like it's really luck of the draw. Yeah, so so pretty interesting. So the the big question for everyone was like, to shear or not to shear, you know? Like, because every time you shear your wool, risk. Every time you take your, your sheep out of the barn, risk, you know? So you're playing kind of like a, Almost like poker. That sounds cool. I like that. But look, so what? It's still a game, right? What's the actual gameplay like? Are you watching? Obviously, you're not standing there watching your sheep in a barn for hours a day. Is it this stuff happen behind the scenes and you just check for updates, or is it actually what's the visuals like? Is it something you can get immersed in? The visuals aren't very fancy. They literally look a little bit like um, Game Boy Pokemon type of visual so it's nothing fancy it, it was just nice like every day or you could check every minute if you want if you're super obsessive you would just see your wool count going up and up and up and yeah. oh, more money more money to sell at the marketplace so you're excited about okay you know, the the wool coming in so it is passive game passive income you just sit back you look it's in the side going on you yes. know you check every once in a while how's my sheep doing Exactly. Exactly. And then you're making bigger decisions like, should I buy? Is it worth buying a wolf? When will my wolf kind of pay itself off? Is it better to buy five sheep or one wolf? You know, because the prices are so different. Um, So it had a lot of people interested in this. Uh, Gary V 
was interested in this oh, yeah. game. So it kind of got some hype from there. Uh, Fayaz uh, was interested in it as well. So it got a lot of hype from there. I joined the game right after Wolf game had kind of collapsed. <laughs> and this is where things get interesting. So yeah, in this smart contract of Wolf game, there was a bug that let you make it so that every time you minted an NFT, you would get a wolf. Someone's figured out like a, a problem in the code. So you could just mint wolves, 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 and then like go sell them on uh, the market. Uh, yeah, I'll ruin the economy. They fixed that bug. But then there was another bug that brought the entire game down. And that was a bug that allowed you to claim 6 million wool when you unstake your sheep. And the person who found this bug posted on Twitter and, you know, like the game basically like. Yeah, it's a, it's a collapse of the economy. Right. So everybody's trying to sell wool in an open market. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. They're like, why would I buy wool if I could just, you know, get right. 6 million using this bug? So that kind of collapsed the um, game and they weren't able to fix it. But some other developers who were fans of the game actually rebooted the game into Sheep Game. And this is where Bogdan comes in. Every ape in at the wrong time. With, yeah, total ape into this game where I was like, oh, Sheep Game, Gary Vee's into it. Fias is into it. I bought a couple of sheep. Each one cost me $60. Not crazy, you know, $120 to experiment with this game. Um, not that crazy, but what happened was right after I bought into this game, the developers started changing the game to keep it interesting. Mm -hmm. And also you can't give out wool for all eternity, right? Like the economy will collapse if you just keep giving out wool to everybody for free. Right. Um, so they started changing the game. And this is when things, this is a really valuable lesson. This goes back to the community aspect of things. Mm -hmm. The community turned on the developers within the Discord channel. Uh, basically, the community was like furious that they no longer could make passive income from the game and just started like berating the developers and being super, super mean to them. And the developers just one day, like they just, they disappeared. Like at first... They were like, hey, guys, we're working on updates. Hey, we're trying to make this better. Like lots of things. And people were just just kept hammering on them. Yeah, like, yeah. Bullying them. Developers just disappeared. Is there like, if you're going to be that way, then fine. You know, I'll take off. And I don't know. I mean, when communities turn toxic, what incentives do developers have to keep putting all this work in? You know what I mean? Besides monetary. Yes, there's some monetary gain there. But like, at what point do you say, you know, enough's enough, you know? Yeah. Like, but, you know, one thing I know is it okay, gamers can get, gaming and gamers can get emotional, you know, emotions run deep. Now, investments and money, it's hard not to be detached emotionally from it. So when you combine those two things, gaming, which is emotional, you know, people get fired up over games and you got money involved, seems like a recipe for a toxic environment, potentially. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think you hit the, the nails on the heads uh with those two people really like it when things are going well and yeah. we have so much this is what drove me crazy because i was also trying to contribute to the community in a positive way i was like guys like all <laughs> of this by the way you think this happened over like the course of a year or two no this yeah. happened in two months in wow. two months we went from hey this game's really awesome it's really interesting to developers are gone wow that's, That's how quickly the community turned. They have they had no patience for the developers to actually develop the game into something right. better. We're seeing real world economic problems taking place in this space virtually, you know, and digitally, I guess is a better term. And so, I mean, it's it's tough enough to 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 run a, a prosperous economy, you know, in general, but now you're dealing with a lot of other stuff. And so I, I think it's fascinating because, you know, I studied economics and I love that. And I like to see these kind of these things taking place on like macroeconomics taking place on a micro scale because you can see it in real time. It's not like years over years, like, you know, it's two months, you know. I think we're going to get split. I think the, the market will essentially mature. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to start getting higher standards for what we expect from things. Right now, there's just like a lot of excitement in the new. It's kind of like when the right. Apple App Store first came out and like, one guy made over a million dollars making a fart app. 
where you literally press a button and it makes a fart sound. This guy had over a million downloads at a dollar a piece. I got to admit something. Um, that guy was me. Ah, okay. That's so, where all your family wealth comes from. Yeah, I, I lied. It wasn't from oil wells in the Sudan. It, uh, <laughs> I created a fart app, right? Everybody that's out there, it's me. I, you know, I was young. I was, uh, I was in a dark place. Anyway, go on. The novelty, the novelty of the new will kind of wear off. And we're going to start looking for people who actually have like pedigree, who have legitimate teams. So that cousin I was talking about in Bulgaria, he actually develops economies for games. Like that's his, oh, yeah. his full-time job. Okay. And he's been like two to three years tweaking and, and working on the economy of a, a game. Yeah. It's unrealistic to think that like two guys, this was literally two guys, the <laughs> Sheep Game, Wolf Game. Are right. going to develop an entire economy in less than two months. So right. we're going to try and find like better projects. And I want to hit these points before we move on to yours. Sure, sure. This is, I jumped into Sheep Game before PTAC, before Purpose Team uh, yeah. uh, Advantage and Community. So when I look back at this project now, if I were to evaluate it with kind of like more yeah. mature eyes, uh -huh. purpose okay it's a play to earn game that's that's fine there's others as well though um unique advantage there's really no unique advantage other than like this interesting economics of it so it's like yeah. i think what got me on board is community the discord had tons of people in it gary v fayez they're all pumping it so like scores really high on the community bucket but then team it wasn't a docs team. Uh, no one knows who these people are. So you have no idea who you're putting your money into. Right. You're putting your money into a community of hype. And I think that's a really, really strong point um, that kind of adds a little bit more uh, power and more importance to our PTAC plus T is mm -hmm. you look at everything. I mean, there's a lot of uh, community hype that gets built up online on Reddit, on Twitter, and everybody jumps in and it's like, ah, it's next big thing. That can quickly turn on a dime, as you realize. I mean, within two months, that community basically was like, eh, I'll see you later. You know what? Have my sheep, have my wolves. I'm going to go farm chickens over here. You know what I mean? And so community sometimes isn't enough. There has to be some real use case there, some advantage. And I think that has to do with the team because, you know, I think, I think you made a good point that like, you know, people are going to learn from these mistakes. You know, this is early on. People are just pushing this stuff out. And then you get, the, once you get bigger game studios, like, you know, people who have experience building these economies, we're going to have better quality games, uh, more um, development into it before it gets launched. We, all these problems are ready to be addressed as soon as they happen. Yeah. A uh, fun little fact here. So I lost $400 on Sheep Game, uh, give or take maybe four or 500. Um, guess what the highest sale recorded for a wolf was in Sheep Game? High, at someone, a high point, right? Yeah. How much did someone pay for a wolf in Sheep Game? Wow. Okay. Um, what's the baseline for the, for the wolf? I don't know. I never bought a wolf, but uh, you can currently buy a wolf for like $5. Okay. So, I mean, like, I mean, NFT prices are crazy, you know, especially in, in the height of a, of a, of a wolf bubble. I'm going to say 10 grand. You're a little low. It was $85,000. What? <laughs> Someone paid 20.5 ETH for a wolf in order to play sheep game and literally their wolf right now is worth five dollars so some guy's got a, 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 a wolf nft that's basically worth nothing now yeah exactly and i saw people like this in the discord who like had the crying emojis because they're like i lost two thousand dollars i lost ten thousand dollars so if you're like do not put too much money into any one project i don't think of these games as an investment I don't know. You know, I, I, we'll talk more about it too, because I, you know, I worked in a mobile game last year and uh, one of my coworkers, he's a, a game designer. He's worked with a lot of big studios, um, Disney, Zynga, other places. And we had a long conversation this week actually about play to earn games because um, when we were working together, I was starting to hear about them online. I was like, Hey dude, are you checking this out? Like, this is kind of a big deal. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not really heard of it. You know, I'm not into that, but let me, let me look into it. And so, um, as I was researching Axie Infinity, I noticed they were looking for a senior game designer to work on their economy. And oh. so I, call, I called him up and I was like, hey, I don't know if you're looking, but remember we talked about this you know, last year. Are you interested in maybe getting into the NFT gaming market? And we had a long conversation of why he was not very 
not into it. And so we can talk about that. But anyway, awesome. I love the ex- love the sheep game, uh, P-Tech. A wonderful job. I'm sorry about your loss. I'm glad it was <laughs> was, was under a thousand dollars. And you. you know, you got a great story, and you got some digital wool. I do. You know, the funny thing is, I'm gonna hold on to those sheep NFT, even though they're worth nothing. I have them displayed in a digital frame right now to remind me always, you know, like don't get swiped into the hype. <laughs> all right, let's let's jump into Axie Infinity. All right, all right. So my game today is going to be something like you heard about. It's called Axie Infinity. Have you heard of it? I have, but tell tell me more about it. So Axie Infinity. And so fun fact, what I learned, Axie is actually um, the creatures in the game are supposed to be axiotl-like creatures, hence the name, axes. What's axiotl-like? An axiotl is a um, amphibian kind of lizard animal that has all these weird uh, physical traits. Look it up. Very cute, very fun-loving and cuddly. You want one? I'm going to get one. There we go. So the game oh, wow. is... I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And yeah, it... right? They're cool, huh? It literally looks like a weird little Pokemon cartoon, but it, this is a real creature. Yeah, for anyone who wants to uh, look this up, it's spelled A-X-O-L-O-T-L. Axolotl. Axolotl. <laughs> we're, we're probably mispronouncing that. Go ahead. <laughs> now I can't pronounce it after you said it. So anyway, so that's that's the, the creatures in the game. And you so you mentioned um, like Pokemon. Um, this is a kind of a similar game where you basically get these creatures and battle against each other. And each creature has different abilities, different traits that can make them more or less successful in a battle situation. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Crypto Kitties was kind of big for a while where you could get online and you could breed kittens and they create different kittens and you create more kittens. I missed, I missed the Crypto Kitties bandwagon. I'll be honest. I didn't get on board that train. Never would have probably. But anyway, so the game was kind of based on that. And so Crypto Kitties was a really popular game. But after you created these new kittens from the breeding process, no one knew what to do with them. You sat there, you looked at them, you know, they're peeing And that's when it. someone thought. Like, how can we make this more fun? Why don't we make these bad? Yeah, exactly. Like, what can we do with this? And so the, basically they're thinking like, okay, let's, let's gamify this, make it more interesting. Um, and so they created a play to earn game where you basically, you buy these axiotl little creatures. Um, you got to start out with three. And once you get those three, you can battle head to head against other people. And once you do, you earn experience points, which is kind of like Pokemon, I guess. I never played Pokemon, but you get experience points. And you also earn something called SLP. SLP stands for Smooth Love Potion. Love it. I know. Right. This is a very, it's a very sexy game. And so what you do with that is you take your Smooth Love Potion and you can take your current axes and you can breed them with other axes and you produce an offspring. And now there's each axis has, uh, I think, five or six traits that are unique that each have a superpower, basically. And once you breed them, there's 500 different traits that are randomly selected that you can produce. Mm. And so that process allows you to create new axes that have different traits. And so there's a lot of... Um, a lot of power in that breeding process because you produce something very unique then that's something that has a lot of value in the overall market and right? quick question so yeah. when you breed the two axes and create a new one your two axes that you use to breed that new one you still get to keep them right you get to keep them okay now, so now my two axes have become three right uh, but here's a caveat so you can only breed each axe uh, i think seven times until you can't do it anymore okay um, each time you breed, it costs more um, SLP tokens to breed them, the smooth love potion. So the, the, smooth, the smooth love potion is the um, lubricant of this, of this, these two axes coming together. It's, it's the berry white, you know, it's, it's the soft okay. music, it's the candles, it's the incense. It makes love happen. Okay. Okay. And so you need that to basically create these new um, axes, which you can breed to create po- more powerful axes. Then you take those and you fight. You win, you gain more, you get the smooth love potion when you win. And that smooth love potion can be used to buy things like land and other in-game purchases within the game. Okay. And so, you know, when we're talking about games, um, you know, working with that mobile game last year, I, I learned a lot about the game economies. And you probably have from, from your cousin. And so for, for every game, there's a, a faucet in the sink. 
And that's kind of how the economy works. You play to earn, and that money you earn needs to be spent on something that keeps that cycle going. Mm-hmm. And so actually infinity cycle is you battle, you get experience, you win more, you earn more, you can buy more, you can breed more, you can get more tokens, right? Yeah. So the play to earn part comes in play when you basically earn SLP tokens, you can trade those on an open market for people who want to get those tokens to be able to breed more axes themselves. Okay. So people who have not earned enough tokens to breed on their own can just pay money to buy someone else's potion. Yeah. The shortcut, you know what I mean? It's like, say, listen, I, I got a job. I don't have time to be sitting around battling all day long. I'll give you some money. Boom. You know, and so that, that's kind of the basis of it. So the monetary part is once you earn those SLPs, you can convert those into other tokens, cash out, boom, all of a sudden you got real money in your pocket. So the barrier to entry is kind of expensive. So at one point it was like a $300 because you need three axes to fight. And so those, sometimes they're like as much as $100 a piece. And so to play the game, it costs $300 up front. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of money. And uh, so what people started doing is they started renting out their axes to people. They called themselves scholars. And so you could rent out your axie and then pay. So in the person renting would give you 70% of their SLP. Interesting. So kind of like indentured servitude. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I've heard of this. concept. <laughs> yeah. And so anyways, that, that, that's basically it. And so during the, t- the height of its um, of its popularity in the pandemic, people are actually making a living in some developing countries doing this game, playing this game. Um, all day long and selling these tokens on the open market for actual real cash. To date, there's been $4 billion in volume in terms of trading just in those axes. Wow, that's big. Huge. This is the biggest um, play-to-earn game in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just gives you an idea of their scale. So it's, it's based on Ethereum. It runs on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, but, you know, it's kind of deceiving. Most players end up losing money, you know, because just because you spend all this money on your Axie doesn't mean you're going to win all the time. And so... Yeah, so this is something this, this is something that I've heard about is that you buy your axes. That doesn't mean that your axes are just gonna win 50% of the battles. Like yeah. when you buy axes, isn't it that like they have weaker ones and stronger ones? The stronger ones are more than a hundred dollars. Like uh yeah. when I was looking into this game, I just like did a very simple search on it. Um at that time, it was three hundred dollars per axie, and I was like, "Oh, dropping nine hundred on a <laughs> on this game. Am I yeah, even going to make it huge, back?" Right? Well, I was going to say that like some of the most expensive ones, the most powerful ones, can go as much as ten grand. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, I was like, I don't think I'm going to even play this game enough to earn my nine hundred back. Let yeah. alone like, what if I suck at this game? It's you know, what do I do? I, I think um, in twenty. 22 or 2021 i think they brought in like 1.2 billion dollars in revenue so the cool thing is is this project's actually making money you know a lot of these other crypto projects their valuation is based on future projections future use cases they're actually bringing in money today yes but where is that money coming from well that's a good question it's kind of funny you mentioned that because people were starting to call this game basically a nft ponzi scheme Yes. You know what I mean? Because you Which saw is, that. You saw like, that the whole I, I haven't seen it, but as I was reading about this, I was like, this sounds like a pyramid scheme. Right? Because like I buy some axes in order to play the game. I earn potion with it. I make new axes. I sell those axes to other people that are buying it to play the game. So isn't it going to collapse at a certain point when like you don't have new people coming into the game? Yeah, I mean, you, you really hit the, the nail on the head there, too. It, it, there has been an, an economic collapse in the game recently. Oh, OK. For, uh, for the, big, the biggest reason was a lot of people were basically cashing out their SLPs, which you need to breed. They weren't breeding new axes. They're like, I'm making this money. I'm going to sell it and I'm just going to cash out. And so that created um, an inflation in the overall uh, Axie economy. So every time you breed, you burn the, uh, the SLP. And so instead yeah. of breeding, they're just like in the cash out. And so there's just tons of these SLP tokens on, on the market. And so the supply and demand was off in their economy. You know what I mean? There's too much supply, not enough demand for the SLP tokens, right? Yeah. How do they plan to fix this? Well, that's funny you should ask. They actually already put in place a plan to fix it. And so what they decided to do was they made it harder to earn the SLP tokens. 
So now you can only earn them when you're playing head-to-head battles with other people. Before, you could do this thing called um, adventures where you could play against basically the computer and earn SLP that way, even though it was a limited amount you could earn each day. So you could earn like, I think maybe 100 um, SLP tokens um, a day and they're you know worth like a you know, few cents. But so now you can't do that. So you got to play, you got to battle head to head. And when you battle head to head, it's a lot more, um, who knows who's going to win. You know, you're playing against some good people, some bad people. So they basically took um, a way, they found a way to take a lot of SLP out of the game economy to basically mm-hmm. increase its value. So the SLP tokens, um, they're trading right now at 0.03. So like three cents. Um, at all time high, they're worth 40 cents. So they've, they've dropped oh, like 95% since kind of the collapse. And the, like you said, this game really requires new people to come in to create that, to keep that economy going and keep demand going. And so they really had like a, a cratering once people stopped joining and they started losing people. And so that was the, the delicate balance that was disrupted. Who is the team or the developers behind Yeah, that? yeah, good question. Um, I don't know if you've heard, you heard of Sky Mavis. I have, yeah. Yeah, they're the team behind it. They're a young bunch of guys. Uh, most of the team is in Vietnam. Um, one of the co-founders, uh, he's a U.S. guy. Uh, I looked him up, didn't really get a lot of information. According to his LinkedIn, this is his first job he's ever had. So oh, good wow. for him. Home run, <laughs> right, out of the, right out of the gate, you know what I mean? Um, and then there's another guy from Norway who's on the business side. Um, there's a Vietnamese guy um, who is also a co-founder. He's a software engineer. And so they got a pretty small, young team of guys and some really great visual designers. Um, unlike uh, the Wolf's game, it sounds like the actual gameplay is pretty cool. I, I watched it for a little while. I mean, it's not very exciting, like a first person shooter, but it's like it, it's cool. It's cute, you know, and you're like sh- shooting missiles and fighting things. Funny thing about it is yeah. deep game. Actually, the thing that they were trying to evolve it to is you could battle your sheep. So borrowing from like an Axie Infinity type model and people, when it first came out, the feature, like some people started battling and they're like, oh, this is pretty fun, but it was too late. It couldn't save the game. And so there was one guy on Discord. He was like, I've been waiting for an opponent for two hours. Where is everybody? (laughs) He's in the game, it's just crickets, you know, and you're like, a sheep, you're not an exciting I need, animal. A, I need someone to battle my sheep again, so, and everyone's like, we're gone, we're done, guys. Oh, man, that's that's a lonely place to be, man, just one sheep hanging out there, and I mean, sheeps aren't intimidating, they don't see, I don't see them with, like, claws, and, like, that's tough, tough break for that guy. Um, so, anyway, moving right along, so that's the team, young guys, yes, there's going to be a lot of competition, but they've got that first comer advantage to the market. And they've also got a name. They've got a, a strong user base. So we'll see what they can do with it. Mm-hmm. They're already making changes. Um, and we'll talk about advantage. It kind of rolls into that. One of the things they did decide to do uh, was they created their own side chain called Ronin. And that was basically just to lower gas fees and transaction costs for the in-game economy, which was a That's big smart. deal that helped a lot. Yeah, super smart guys. And so you can see right now they're already like thinking ahead. What can we do to basically make this game more fun, more innovative? Um, you know, they have a marketplace now for their NFTs. Um, they've got a hub for uh, launching uh, other blockchain games. Uh, they've got a wallet. Um, so they're look, look, looking at ways to kind of expand their reach now that they got all this money and cash on their hands and also the notoriety. Um, so one of their biggest advantages is the huge user base. I mean, there's just tons of people playing this game. 2.7 million monthly average players. Wow. That, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's huge for any game. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's big, man. That's big. I mean, they're the most popular uh, play to earn game. Second is the central land. And so they've got that huge base already. Yeah. Um, I think the CEO of Reddit, he was like, no one's going to play games where you can't earn money in the future. He was saying in five years, mm-hmm. no one's going to play a game where you don't earn something, you know? And so they've got a huge advantage there. So, so moving right along to the community, it kind of ties into that. So the community is very, um, well, the project is very community driven. Uh, their whole idea is that devs and the community work together to own and um, govern the future of this project. They have a, another token called the AXS, which is their most uh, valuable traded coin. And that's a governance coin. So you buy that, you can get a little bit of say into terms of what happens in the game, the direction of the game, right? Mm-hmm. There, so here's the question, Brian. Yeah. Here's my big question for you. Are you going to buy three axes and play this game? <sighs> okay, in all honesty... No. Okay. Why I'll tell you why. Okay. First of all, I, I saw the gameplay online. It doesn't excite me. Okay. 
I need more action. I need more explosions. You know, I'm a first person shooter guy. You know what I mean? Uh, Second of all, I don't have the time. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big investment to get started and I'm not going to sit here playing all day long, you know, battle after battle to try to make my money back. So, yeah. Yeah. Like we mentioned earlier, the most important thing with play to earn games is like, you should also be having fun. Like it should be, you're earning but it's, it's also about the playing, right? Well, the, playing, the playing should come first. And so I was talking to my buddy. He's been a game designer for a long time. And uh, I was like, did you ever try to play Axie? Because we talked about it a year ago. And he was like, listen, like, I just didn't see it. Like, I tried to play and I had to get a wallet. I had to connect it. I had to put money in it. I had to do this. I do that. There's like five or six steps just to get to the point where you can pay $100, $300 for your Axies. Yeah. And so he said, I just don't see that happening right now, but I think in the future, there's something there. So he was basically poo-pooing it and he's been in game design for a long, long time. I, I think play there and games are here to stay. I hope that they evolve into something that is more, I think right now they're just, they're missing the actual fun element of them. Um, it's novel to earn money by playing a game, but yeah, I'm hoping in the future that we will enjoy playing these uh, games and I will take you. There's a first person shooter game. Let's play to earn. I will snipe you in the head many, oh. many times if I can also get rewarded for that, because I do that for free right now, Brian. I, would do I, that for free. I, dude, I do it for free, too. I'm going to have a digital necklace with your digital ears around it. As <laughs> um, no, hey, man, let's bring it on, dude. Let's go. Um so, yeah, I mean, play during games, like you said, they're here to stay. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think GameStop getting involved makes like a really strong case for the longevity. I think if they can figure out a way for you to log into one platform and to play multiple games without having to do all this jumping around and creating wallets, I think that's going to be huge. Yeah. I agree. All right. So that wraps things up for already? our podcast. Yep, already, Brian. Time flies. Uh, that wraps things up for today's podcast. If you guys have any questions, comments about anything we talked about today, remember that you can email us at podcast at cryptosafari.us. Yeah, I'm going I'm to leave everybody with a little fun little fact here. The axolotl that we talked about is actually critically endangered. What? Yeah, it's critically endangered species. So maybe um, we can get everybody to, to help save these cute little guys. They are cute. They're adorable. They are. We'll uh, hashtag save axolotls. Let's start a GoFundMe page. Cure a sheep, buy an axolotl. I love it. Those are, right. the, the, that's where we're going to go. Take away from this. All right. Till next time, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Crypto Safari. Ciao. Ciao.